The title for today's talk is Where Does Your Help Come From? Where do you look to whenever there's problems? Where does your help come from? I was getting into bed last night and I looked at my phone and I thought I'll just put on the shuffle and see what song comes on the phone. And lo and behold, out of the blue came this song. I'd never heard it before. You know we buy these CDs and sometimes you don't you, you home in on one or two songs you really like. And then the others maybe you haven't taken much notice of. And this song came on and the first words were, where does your help come from? It was a psalm and it was all about Psalm 121. So we came into the prayer room this morning and one of the ladies in the prayer room came in and said on the way down from Market Hill that she had been praying and she felt that, that verse come into her heart. Uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And it was really being blessed. And as she was thinking of this psalm, lo and behold, on the radio, Spirit Radio, on came again the same psalm, uh, from whence comes my help. And uh, then she came into church and she got the brochure and, of course, she lifted it up and there was Psalm 121 on the top of it. So we began to think that God was really wanting to give us this psalm this morning, that maybe there's something in this title that God wants you to know where your help comes from, that God wants you to know who to run to that it's time to run to him whenever the difficulties come. And we've been looking at the life of David, and we've been looking at how uh, things had been going so well for him. Like, after all, he had, he had killed the giant. He was the, he was the hero of Israel and it looked like things were going so so well for him and I put uh, just on your notes here you'll maybe have read it for David everything had been looking good until everything started to go wrong did you ever feel like that everything was good until it started to go wrong but you see we've got to remind ourselves that we do have a spiritual enemy one who is opposed to us one who knows every trick in the book one who knows how to distract us, how to hurt us, how to come from the back from what we're not expecting. One who will come to try and derail us and take us away from God and bring us into confusion and hurt and all kinds of difficulties. This is the one who is actively against us. We need to remind ourselves that Satan is not passive. He doesn't passively look on. He is active. He is looking to see where he can scheme and how he can work. And you know, Satan does turn the heat up. And, and I've been thinking of this phrase over the weekend. What do you do when the heat turns up? And I was reminded of Jeremiah 17 because it tells us there that, that actually when the, heat, when the heat's turned up, that we can still be fruitful, that we can still actually know God's presence and help in those situations. I'll just read you a couple of verses from Jeremiah 17. It says, Happy is the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. I can hardly read it in my writing, but that much scribbled in my Bible. And he will not fear when, he, when, heat, when the heat comes, but its, but, the, but its leaf will be green, and he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. What's that saying? It's when the, when the heat is turned up, that if we are trusting God and we've got our roots down into God, that actually we can just keep continuing to bear fruit. Now that's not to say that we always get it like that. Sometimes we, 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 we take a run around before we get to that place and we're going to look at that today because that's what happened to David because the enemy turned the heat up and he found himself in, difficult, in a difficult situation. Remember that Saul had tried to kill him and he had fled. And we looked at the end of last time that we were here, we looked at how he had, he had 
David had realised that his life was in danger and he had to run and he ran away up to his old mentor, his spiritual father. He ran up to Samuel and we looked last time that we were here how uh, when he got to Samuel that he was able to unburden himself and he was able to tell Samuel all about the situation and it's interesting that he ran to a place called Ramah. Samuel was up in Ramah which means heights. He ran to a higher place. And sometimes we need to go to our spiritual mothers or fathers. We need to find someone who maybe is a bit further along the journey than we are. And sometimes we need to run to them whenever trouble comes. And to just offload all of the anxiety and be truthful and bring bring out the truth. I often say that if we keep stuff in the dark, we're going to be in trouble. We've got to bring the truth out and pour it out. And so David knew to run to Samuel, and that's what he did. And then after spending some time with Samuel, we saw last time that then they moved on to a bunch of prophets. And uh, the the prophets were in a place called Neath, which means means tent or camp. So these prophets were all meeting together. They're probably on the move. So, So Samuel... And, and David went up to these prophets and they began, we talked last time, how they began to get together. When prophets get together and they start to worship and praise, something happens. When we get fellowship and we begin to worship God and we encourage each other, something happens. And last time we said that Saul sent three groups of soldiers to come to try and, and arrest David. And every time the soldiers came, the Holy Spirit overwhelmed them. Isn't it amazing? Whenever everybody's praising and worshipping and the prophets are prophesying, it just overcame these soldiers and they started to prophesy as well. So they weren't able to arrest David. And after Saul did this three times, we saw that, that, that Saul himself in complete frustration of no doubt he thought, these, what's happening here? I have to go myself. If you have to do a job, you might as well do it yourself. You know the attitude. And so he heads up himself and when he comes near to these prophets and they're prophesying and worshipping what happens to Saul the same thing the Holy Spirit just overcomes him and actually Saul we find him in the scriptures and I'm not reading it we read it the last last week we were here you see him lying on the ground and he's taken off the royal robes that's what God had wanted him to do all along God was saying I, you're not to be king any longer Remember, he had ripped part of his robe as a prophetic sign that that he was no longer going to be king. But Saul was holding on to something that was no longer really his. And he has the robe off him and he's lying prophesying all day and all night. Imagine the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know, whenever it was over, he got up and he deliberately, rather than giving in to what the Holy Spirit was trying to do in his life, Rather than taking off the royal robes and saying, here, David, the Lord, I want to be in agreement with the Lord here. Rather than doing what Jonathan did. Remember, Jonathan did that and took off his robes and handed them over to David. But Saul wasn't going to do that. He was determined. He was holding on no matter what. He, no matter what God said, he was going to do it his way. And so David realised he was going to have to run again because Saul was on the warpath. This crazy king, his heart hadn't changed. Did you ever meet crazy people? Just a bit. <laughs> hell bent on going the wrong direction and you know only the, only the Holy Spirit can change someone like that but Saul made up his mind that he was still running after David and so we're going to pick up the story from there and we're going to look now at 1 Samuel 20 now there's a whole big list of, of verses here 42 verses there's no way we're reading 42 verses but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it and pick out a few verses because David had started off running to his spiritual father Samuel 
And that was a good thing to do. And I would say, if you're in difficulties, get to a spiritual mother or father. Get to someone who can speak wisdom into your life. Get to someone who can pray with you. Get to someone who can encourage you and help to lift you up again. That's so, so good. And David was so wise. And now he's running to his friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan, if you remember, was, the, was, was Saul's son. And Jonathan was the one who had taken off his robes and said, Here, David, I want to be. I want, I want to see you king. I, I want to surrender my rights to the throne because I know God wants to give the throne to you. What a heart. These two guys were, were one in God. And, and the Bible says their hearts were knit together. They had a covenant relationship. That is so powerful. It's such an amazing picture of our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's covenants throughout the Bible. And Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, remember he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He has actually come into covenant relationship with you. The moment that you ask him to be your saviour, you're in not just a relationship that can be in one day and out the next. No, you're in a covenant relationship sealed with the blood of Jesus. That is powerful. That is security. That is so, so powerful. And so this picture of Jonathan and David, it's like a human picture of something much greater. And so he runs to Jonathan and he tells Jonathan the situation that he's in, that his father is trying to kill him. And Jonathan basically says, it can't be that bad, David. And David says, no, it is that bad. Believe you me, he's trying to kill me. And, and so Jonathan and he agree, they come upon this plan, that Jonathan will go into the, the feast, the meal where his father was having this huge feast. And he would go in and, and we would say, sound out the ground. He would go in and try and suss out whether Saul had calmed down or whether he was still in a real frame of mind of harming David. And so they came upon this plan that uh, David would remain by a particular stone. Let me just pick it up there from uh, 1 Samuel 20, verse 18. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. This was at the feast that, that Saul was going to be at. And Jonathan said, When you've stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. David was going to stay out in the field whilst Jonathan went in to, to suss out the ground at the feast. And this stone Ezel, actually the name of the stone means departure. So he was going to wait, hide if you like, at this stone. Then whenever Jonathan would find out what way things were, if his father was angry or whether he had calmed down again or not, he was going to come out. And here's what he said. When I come out, verse 20, verse, uh, verse 20, then said Jonathan, I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. Then said Jonathan, as the Lord lives, you'll know, David, there's safety for you and there's no harm. But if I say to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. Then you will know that there's a problem. Verse 23. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to the feast. And so the rest of it goes on where Saul waits and he's talking to himself. Where is he? Where is he? I wonder where he is. Oh, he'll come, he'll come soon. He's talking to himself, he's ranting and raving a bit. Do you ever notice anybody who's in real bad form, real bad temper, taken over by evil, 
where actually they're so unhappy and where they're so rotten. And so he's rattened himself. And he says, verse 26, Saul didn't say anything that day for he thought something's happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, the son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Saul's looking out for him. And then Jonathan says to Saul, well, he's had to go to Bethlehem. And he begins to realize that Saul is full of anger. It says in verse 30, Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father and said, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul said, Cast a spear at him. Then Saul cast a spear to, to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Can you imagine the anger and the, the evil spirit that was rising up this wickedness that he actually threw a spear at his own son out of his anger? This man was out of control. This man, isn't it amazing when we turn away from God and allow the enemy to fill our hearts? How actually, the, and no wonder we hear of all the wickedness and the stuff that happens on television and the stuff that we hear in the news about murderers and all the rest of it. When people turn and give themselves over to evil, demonic powers will torment them to the point where they're willing to go and do the most heinous things. And we need to understand that that is what we're up against. That that is the evil that is in this world. That the enemy is so evil and so wicked that he would kill you if he could. And so he tried, Saul actually threw the spear at Jonathan. And it says, Jonathan arose from the table. And of course he goes out and can you get the picture? I'll tell you just the picture and then we'll read a little bit at the end. He goes out into the field. He brings this little boy with him just as he and David had arranged. And he says to the boy, he shot the arrow and he said to the little lad, he said, go, the arrow is beyond you. He shot the arrow away beyond the rock and he called to this little boy, the arrow is beyond you. And that was the, 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 the sign to David. Let me just read it to you. Verse 36, he said to the lad, now run, find the arrow which I shoot. As the lad ran, ran Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? What a poignant picture of how Jonathan and David were actually um, operating here together. David had come to his friend for help. Do you know that's the right thing to do? Galatians 6 and 2 says we're to bear one another's burdens. Romans 12 and 15 says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to weep with those who weep. And the next verse goes on to say, be of the same mind towards each other. There's something about standing with each other in the body of Christ when we're going through difficult times. It's the right thing to do. And that's exactly what David had done. He had run to his friend. And you need to know whether you have a lot of friends who in your life or not, you need to know that if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're in the body and you have family and you have friends who love Jesus and you're not on your own and you need to stop listening to the lies of the enemy that you don't have anybody. You do. Once you come into, once you receive Jesus as your saviour, you come into a family. And, and David ran to Jonathan and he was desperate for human help. And you know, we can give help to each other. We can give human help. In this particular situation, human help was all Jonathan could give him. 
because David needed more than human help. He needed God's help. And they they devised this plan to be like a code to David, that David would know whether it was safe to come back to the palace or whether he was going to have to run. And I just wrote in your notes here, when David heard the words, the arrow is beyond you, his heart must have sunk. I can just see him crouching down by this great big stone. I don't ever see the big stone up at the top of the mountain in, in Warren Point. Anybody ever up there? The great. I always imagine this stone a bit like that. And I can sort of see David hiding down under this, waiting for the signal. Waiting to see how the land lies. Were you ever in a position where you were waiting? And you didn't know how things were going to turn out. You didn't know what you were going to, how God was going to guide you, how you were going, how God was going to lead you in a certain situation. And I can just imagine David's heart sinking when he hears those words: "The arrow is beyond you." He knew at that moment that this situation was beyond him and beyond Jonathan. And there's times in your life and times in mine when a situation is just beyond us. When humanly speaking, there's nothing we can do. And so often that's the case. And of course we should do what we can do humanly, humanly speaking. But there comes a point where we can't. And we need to trust God at that point. And so David at that point realised that he was going to have to trust God completely. And it says at the end of this chapter, it says, As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place towards the south and he fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. Can you see this Eastern kind of, you know, the, the kind of, the way they're so Eastern, um, what would you say, culture, uh, the way that, that they would greet each other. You see the, the gentleness and you see David bowing down before Jonathan and his heart is breaking. He has realised he's going to have to go on the run and he's realised he's going to have to leave Jonathan and leave the palace. He's realised he's going to have to go out on his own and he's terrified. And so it says that he bowed down and it says they kissed one another and they wept together. But it says, but David more so. Jonathan was weeping because his friend was going to have to leave. But I'll tell you, Jonathan's pain was nothing like David's pain. David wept more than Jonathan. Jonathan was weeping. One of the translations says, but David excelled. You see, David was going to feel the weight of it. It was, it was David who was going to go through this pain. And we need to know that we have a heavenly David who weeps more for you than you can weep for yourself. Because in some ways, David and Jonathan is a picture of Jesus and us. That covenant relationship. And you need to know that you have a saviour who actually weeps more than you do. That you have a saviour who feels your pain more than you feel it. And when you're going through those hard times, you need to know that, that you feel it and you know the excruciating pain. But you need to remember that there's one in heaven, Jesus Christ himself, and he feels it more. His heart is breaking. Remember whenever at the, at the funeral, remember whenever Lazarus was dead, it says Jesus wept. He feels our pain. He is our great high priest. He is the one who feels our pain. Hebrews 13 and 5 and 6 and verse 8 say this, that the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, Jonathan was going to have to say goodbye. But we have one who will never say goodbye. We have someone who will be with us in those difficult times. He has promised that he will never, and actually in the original Hebrew, I think it's by three times, he will never, no, never, no, never, no, never forsake you. He will be with you. 
It says in Hebrews 13, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so David had run to Samuel for help. His life had been spared. God had done a miracle there, but he'd had to continue running on looking for more help. He'd run to Jonathan to see how, how Jonathan could help him. He realised that actually Jonathan could love him and could, could give him sympathy, but actually he couldn't go with him. And, and so his, his help was limited. And then from there he runs on. First Samuel 21, he runs on to the religious system of the day. He runs to the priest. And it says in chapter 21, um, verse... Verse 1, now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and he said, why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me in some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business in which I send you or what I have commanded you and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. Isn't it... Isn't it quite something that David was after? You've got to remember that he was, he was in the palace. He, a few days before, he had been praised by everybody. Everybody was out praising him as being the, the, the one who had saved Israel, being the national hero, the one who, who, was, uh, who was riding in with King Saul. And here he is, and he's in desperation. He's actually starving. He's needing food. He's needing help. And we have been talking earlier today about helping those who need help. Listen, practical help is so important. And what you're doing is so important. And, and it, it actually is a first point of contact for people. We need to help people whenever they're in, in practical, physical need. We need to help them. And so David is asking the priest for bread. And he doesn't have any food to give him except for the bread, the, the, the religious bread in the, in the tabernacle, which was the bread of the presence, which none of the, no one could eat that bread apart from the priest. But you know, when this, when this priest, when Ahimelech saw the distress that David was in and he realised that he was starving, do you know what he did? He made a judgment. And he made a judgment to obey the spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of the law. And that's exactly the right thing that he did. And, and over a thousand years later, you see Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. I'm not going to read it. But if you read that when you go home, you'll see that Jesus referred back to this instance. And he said that what the priest did was right. Because do you know what? God is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord over all of the law. And this was the right thing to do. And so this priest, now we're going to see later on, that it actually cost this priest his life. But he was willing to do the right thing. He was willing to give the food out of the presence, the holy bread, to David. And David uh, was able to get enough food to keep him going. And, and apparently, although he had arrived on his own to the priest, it seems that he had a few other men with him and they give the bread to, the other, to his other men as well. You see, this priest was human. And again, this priest couldn't do everything that David needed to be done. He could help him by giving him some bread. <laughs> He risked his life. He was later going to die because of what he did for David. He didn't know it at the time. But this human priest was limited. But I want to tell you about a, a priest in heaven today who is not limited. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we're told in the Bible that he went up through the heavens, right in behind the veil, into heaven itself, to be a priest for us. 
and he sits there and a priest is one who mediates between two people and he is the one who is constantly bringing our case into heaven he is the one who is constantly speaking up for you he is the one who has died for you and taken all of your sin on his own body he's the one who is alive for you he, he died for you but he's alive for you so that he can speak and give you the help that you need and he is seated at the throne of God so all power is in his hands he's not like a weak priest somewhere or other he's not like this human priest he's not like a Himalayan. he's not limited he can give you what you need he can sort out the situation in a way that you would never imagine he is on the throne and if I could get that across to you that God is on the throne and he overrules things and even whenever we think that things have gone the wrong way it's the right way because he's working it around because he knows what he's doing because he is the great high priest oh let me I could get so excited about Jesus as the great high priest you know what over the weekend I was thinking about this and I was thinking about there's a verse I'm not going to take it at time oh I'd love to take time but I'm not in, in Hebrews chapter 6 when you go home you read in Hebrews chapter 6 where it talks about God actually giving his oath and then on top of his oath as if that wasn't enough for God to swear on his oath on top of that he gives the promise to those who are heirs of salvation what's the promise that we are anchored right in behind right through the heavens right in behind the veil in heaven we're already anchored in heaven can you get over that you have an anchor you're anchored into the very presence of god the tabernacle was only a picture of the veil and the three compartments that we did a couple of years ago it was only a picture of the heavenlies Jesus went right in, right through the first and the second, right into the third heaven. And that's where he is right now. And you know what I kept thinking over the weekend? It's an upward lift. You need to be walking through life with an upward lift, knowing every time you put your head down, put it up again, because you're anchored up. Your anchor's not going down. Your anchor's going up. And as you keep looking up at you and realise where you're anchored into, that Christ has got a hold of the anchor and you cannot slip. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock that cannot move. What's the rest of it? Grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Listen, that's where you're anchored to. And here's what I thought. It's an upward lift for an inward shift. You get that one? You see, when you look up and you realise that you're anchored at the throne, that Christ has got you, that his blood has paid the price for you, that you belong to him, and that when you bow to him and yield to him, that he has got you firmly fastened to the rock that can't move. When you realise that, something shifts. It's an upward lift, but an inward shift. And I'll tell you, we need the inward shift on a fairly regular basis. Would you agree with me? First thing in the morning. Who doesn't feel a bit down first thing in the morning? I'll tell you, we need to be looking up. We need to be we need to be catching a hold we need to be catching the eyes of the saviour and saying what have you got for me today we need to start speaking out hope and faith because we have a high priest who can do more for us than any human high priest could ever do this human high priest was limited hebrews chapter 7 tells us a little bit about him and i would love to read well i probably will read a good bit of this let's just read it from verse 23 
It says there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So we know that, well, first, first of all, I have to go back to the verse before. Verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. So as well as a better priesthood, you need to know of a better covenant as well. And then it says there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But because he continues forever, that's Jesus, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession, to stand in the gap for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, because he's holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners, and he has become higher than the heavens. He does not need daily as those human high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. That was this man, Ahimelech. But the word of the oath which which came after the law appoints the Son, that's Jesus, who has been perfected forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary. Oh, I tell you, if we could just get a grip on that. You see, as you're praying, he's praying for you. And the Holy Spirit will help you to pray as well. You have God the, God the Son praying for you and you've got the Holy Spirit giving you utterance and helping you and interceding for you with words that cannot be uttered. You have all the help that you need. This, this human priest, Ahimelech, really couldn't do that much for David apart from giving him some, some loaf, some bread. But other than that, there wasn't much he could do. But I'll tell you, Jesus... Jesus is the one who can go with us. Matthew 28 and 20, I am with you even on to the end of the age. He's a mighty, mighty God. And then whenever David was with this priest, he begins to realise, hey, this is for Goliath's swords around here in the tabernacle, isn't it? Where's that sword of Goliath? Now listen, you've got to remember, it wasn't too long ago till David was going to fight the giant and Saul offered him the armour. And what did he say? No, I can't use this armour. I'll go out and trust the Lord. And he went out and he supernaturally defeated the giant. But now because he's exhausted, now because he's been running around from one to the other, now because he's terrified, he's full of fear because Saul's trying to kill him. And it's all become too much. Have you ever felt like that? Ever felt like you're in the struggle? Ever felt like you're in the storm? Ever felt like everything's too much for me? And because he was feeling everything was too much for him, he suddenly thinks, if I could get my hands on that big sword of glass, I could fix, I could, I could deal with anything. I could fix all if I had that sword. Did you ever look to human stuff? Did you ever look to your own resources? As if that sword was going to be any help to him. And so he runs up, I'm not going to read it, you can read it yourself. He runs and he finds the sword and he's so excited because he's found the sword and he's thinking, now I've got, listen, how often do we look for human resources for stuff? And we get so excited because we're going to do it in our flesh. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to do it his way. He wants us to trust him. And so he was, because he was exhausted, he started to put his confidence in the wrong weapon. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, if you're in a sticky wicket, God can pull down strongholds. And you know what? We're meant to do it as a body. It's the body of Christ. 
We're not meant to be out there fighting a battle on our own. It's the body of Christ together. We're meant to fight for each other and with each other. We're meant to be giving each other words and standing with each other. We're meant to be, we're meant to be part of a family, part of the body of Christ. And that is the way that God has chosen to make us. And so David now has, has recognised this big sword and he's thinking, this is what I'll do. And, and, you know, it's kind of, did you ever take a step in the wrong direction and as soon as you do it and you get all elated you think, oh, this is great, and this is the right thing to do. Uh, and you're scheming and you're working it out. And then the next thing you go from bad to worse. Did you ever find that? When you take one step in the wrong direction and you're, you're putting your, all your dependence in the wrong thing, how often then the very next step, step that you take is ridiculous. And the next step that David took was absolutely unbelievable. Do you know what he did? Sword and all. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? He runs straight to the Philistines with Goliath's sword. I mean, the thing's laughable. Can you imagine? He was out of his head. He'd lost, did you ever lose your head? Did you ever do stuff and you were, you were like you were just not in it? And everybody's going, what's that for? He's, I mean, everybody could see it, I'm sure. He's running straight to the enemy camp. He's running to these Philistines. Let's read it because there's only a few verses. It's in 1 Samuel 21. If I could just find my place here. 1 Samuel 21 and it's down in verse verse 10 then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and he went to Achish the king of Gath and the servants of Achish said to him is this not David the king of the land did they not sing to him and one another and dances saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands now it says David took these words to heart <laughs> and was very much afraid Did you ever jump into something like both feet and then realise, oops, I shouldn't be here. Do you ever do that? Run to the wrong person, or run, run to the wrong place for help? Make a wrong decision that was stupid? Well, here, this is exactly what he did. He ran to the king of Gath. He ran to, with, with the sword, bringing Goliath's sword. I've written in your notes, what on earth was David thinking? Was he thinking that the Philistines would feel sorry for him because Saul had turned against him? Did he imagine the Philistines would help him? Maybe invite him to stay away? Would you like to come for afternoon tea? <laughs> what was he expecting? How often we do stuff and other people can look on and think, that's stupid. But we don't see it. We think it's, we think it's okay. And by the time that David realised that his life was actually in danger for these guys, he was so desperate. Let's read on to see what he did. It says David, I mean the penny dropped pretty quickly when he got in here and heard them all talking. It says when David took these words to heart, he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So what did he do? He changed his behaviour before them. I think this is probably David's all-time low. Pretended madness in their hands scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see this man, he's insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And I want to tell you something that I discovered a while back. I looked this up. It doesn't tell us this in the Bible, but I looked this up. Apparently, the Philistines, at that particular time, certainly, they had this superstition that you don't touch anybody who was crazy, who was insane. And David must have known this 
and very quickly he had pretended to be insane in order to save his life. But can you see how the enemy was pushing him down to another depth? Down to a depth, a low that he had never been to before. Can you imagine he was so desperate and so afraid that he actually started? And I, I always, my imagination is too deep. I always imagine up at the gate, slobbering at the gates, you know, hanging on to the gate, acting like a madman, slobbers coming. Well, that's what it says. That's what it says. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Probably far worse than that. And this king looks at him, and he's not going to touch him because super, they're very superstitious, these people. But he said, Will you get this madman out of here? And somehow or other, God, but listen, that's what we read here. But there's more to it. On the face of it, you could think that's how David escaped, but that's not, there's more to it. Because later on, whenever he got out of, out of Gath, uh, and, and we're gonna, from next week, we're going to start talking about Adullam, he got to the cave. Let me tell you something. Let's, let's turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Psalm 34. Because Psalm 34 is a psalm that David wrote. I don't know if it says in your Bible or not, but in a lot of Bibles, it says that this is the psalm that he wrote when he pretended to be mad. Psalm 34. Now, by this time that he actually wrote these words, he was camping with his men because he was in the cave. And I'm so looking forward to next next week to starting this season of David in the cave with his mighty men. These All these outcast people, people in distress, people in debt, people who were just overwhelmed with life all came out to this cave. But here's what he wrote and here's what he said. This is in relation to his time in Gath. Look what it says in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He's writing here about the time that he was in Gath. He's writing at that moment when he realized his life was in danger, when that moment where the fear gripped him and he began to act like the insane person. Do you know what was going up into heaven? A cry was going up. Even though he was acting the fool and doing whatever he could keep at his, keep his, at his, at his wit's end and doing whatever came to him to do, there was a cry from his spirit that was going up to heaven. And he says, he says, this poor man cried out. You know what? Making a fool of himself in front of the in front of the Philistines, acting like he was crazy. Is this a man of God? Is this a man that you would think God would answer his prayer? He's, he's pretending to be to be crazy in the head. Is this some testimony for God? What does it say here? This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his fears. You know what? Sometimes we sink so low and the enemy would try to put us down and stand on top of us. But you know what? One cry to heaven and God hears. And God delivered him. It wasn't David that delivered himself. It was God delivered him out of the hands of the Philistines and got him to the safety of the cave. We're going to see next time that the cave became the stronghold. That the cave became the place where he and his men began to grow where God... Do you know, after making a spectacle of himself like that, what does God do? He starts to speak to all these poor, distressed people. And they start coming to David. But in a way, was David not totally equipped to help these people? 
Do you think if he hadn't come through all his trouble, do you think if David had set up at the palace and had everything brought to him and all the servants and clicking the fingers and, and all the, if he wasn't running about the desert scared to death and if he, wasn't, if he hadn't gone through all of this fear, do you think he would have been equipped to help these people in distress? No. He, God was preparing him because he was actually able to identify with these people coming in who are full of fear and full of all kinds of problems. And so the lesson for us today is that God is a God who responds to our call, even when we've let ourselves down a bucket full, even when we have done the things that, that we're so ashamed of. I'm sure David was so ashamed of that. And yet, in the middle of it all, he says, they looked to him and were radiant. Do you know what? I believe that even after David had shamed himself to such a degree that actually he was able to look up at God and as he looked and saw the way that God loved him and accepted him and had answered his prayer, do you know what? His face became radiant. And, and the men who were with him, and we're going to look more at that next week, at how he was able to teach these men. Psalm 34, it's about how he's teaching. Psalm 34, if you read it when you go home, picture the campfire at night. Picture the fire lit and all these men sitting outside the cave. And David's in the middle. And he's telling them about his God. He's telling them about his shepherd, the one who's been faithful to him. He's, he's telling them how God has remained true as his shepherd. I had a, a, a little text this morning from a friend of mine in Limerick. She's probably watching right now. And she sent me a text to say, if you need guidance, look to the shepherd. He's the one who guides you. He's the one who will look after you. He's the one who will tend your wounds. The shepherd looks after the sheep. And he'll do the same for you. He's the one who'll put the oil in your head when your head's going stir crazy. And you don't know what you're doing and your mind's going round. He'll put the oil on your head. And he'll anoint you with oil. And he will lead you and he will take you through. And David knew God as his shepherd. And even though he failed so many times, and we're going to see he was human just like us. And that's what gives me hope. Because David was human and he did get things wrong. But you know what? He knew God as his shepherd. And he cried out and God heard him. He also wrote Psalm 56 around the same time. And here's what he said in Psalm 56. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? There's a couple of scriptures I really want to read before uh, we finish today. But before I read those to you, I just wanted to, to give you a couple of quotes. Listen to this. Fear is the thief of opportunity. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. But he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. And you need to be bold because God is with you. Here's another quote. Your time is now. Don't let fear get in the way. Don't let the scarecrow keep you from your harvest. God is able to take what seems like a liability and turn it into your greatest asset. Now is your time. Now is your harvest. Get ready for unbelievable opportunities. Could I get that across to you? I'd love to get that across to Limerick today. Opportunities are about to step up, and that's why the heat steps up, because the enemy wants to stop us. But 
God saying, don't let the scarecrow, don't let the enemy bring fear on you and rob you of what God wants to do. Spurgeon spoke a lot about fear as well. He said that, that David, he never claimed not to be afraid. David was man enough to say that he was afraid on many, many occasions. And, and, and Spurgeon said, it's possible for fear and faith to occupy the mind at the same moment. Isn't that the truth? A divine spark may live in a smoke of doubt. Listen, sometimes that's what it's like. And that's why we need each other to fan up that spark again. That's why we need each other to make the right choice, to choose to trust. Spurgeon said, we're often in a twilight where light and darkness are both present and it's hard to tell which predominates. But it's a blessed fear which drives us to trust it's a blessed fear that brings us to God. Unregenerate fear, that's, that's our flesh, drives us from God, but God's gracious fear drives us to him. Spurgeon said, to trust when there is no cause for fear is just the name of faith. But to be reliant upon God when occasions for alarm are abundant and pressing, that's the conquering fear of God's elect. God wants us choose to have faith, to choose to, to step into that place of trusting him. Do you know that the Lord wants to run to you for help? We have a, a, a group of girls who have been getting together recently and I, I want to read to you from the Amplified a couple of verses and then we're just going to finish because these verses have really kind of lit us up because you need to know that you have a God who is wanting to run to help you. David if you look at the, these notes when you go home, you'll see he was running this way and that way. He was running for help to Samuel. Didn't really help him that much. It was a temporary relief. He ran to Jonathan. That was a help, yes, from his friend, but he couldn't do much to help him. He ran to the priest. He ran to the religious side of things, but they really couldn't do much for him, give him a bit of bread. He, he took the sword of Goliath. He thought, I'll try the worldly way. It didn't work out. It just got him into more trouble. He came to the very enemies and they were about to kill him. He was going from bad to worse. He was running around like a crazy man. And all of us have been there. We've all experienced those times when we were just running crazy and God just pulls us right back in again. And David finally came to trust in God and God was ready to help him. And so just let's look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, verse 18. And I'm going to read it to you in the amplified here's what it says for because jesus himself in his humanity has suffered in being tempted tested and tried he is able listen to immediately run to the cry to assist to relieve to run to the cry of those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering we need to know that he is the one who is ready and able to run immediately to the cry of those of us who are in need. That's the Amplified version. The other verse I wanted to read to you again is from the Amplified. These are the words of Jesus. John chapter 16 verse 31. We read these verses over a few of us girls recently and we were overwhelmed by these verses and we need to lay hold of them and believe them. Here's what Jesus said. I have told you these things so that, you, so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. 
Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Listen, we need to lay hold of these truths and we need to know that we're on a journey through life and there will be times of difficulty and there will be valleys and there will be temptations and there will be trouble. But you know what? Together we can help each other but ultimately it's him. Yeah, Yeah, he can use, he can use all of us to help each other but ultimately it's our great high priest. It's the one who stands Stands interceding for you according to the will of God because he knows the end of the story and he knows what he wants to do with your life and he knows how to take care of that situation and how you need to release it to him to let him do what he wants to do and there's times that we're trying to put our fingers in it and sort it out and we might as well get out of the way and let God do it because he's the high priest he's the one who's all powerful he's the one who's all knowing he's the one who's all wisdom he's the one who sees everything He knows far more than you do. I mean, I know that's hard to believe, but he does. And we need to let go and take our hands off and trust our great high priest. And we're going to stand now and we're going to sing. We're going to sing about this high priest. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We're going to stand up together and we're going to sing this and we're going to believe it. And I'm believing there's going to be miracles happening as we stand and sing this together. As you remind yourself who you're connected to, who you're anchored to, and where he is today, that he's in the heavenlies who you're anchored to. You can't go far wrong with that, can you? Anchored. Anchored behind the veil. That's, that's our position in Christ. Let's believe it. And what? Upward lift for the inward shift in Jesus' name. Okay. This song is so powerful. It's one I sung when I was very young. I've known it all my life. Many of us have. Let's sing it with great gusto. Let's really belt this out as we believe that we have a, a God of all. Before the throne of God above. We're here to pray with you if you want to come up at the end. But you know what? We are such a privileged people. To live on planet Earth right now, we have God for us. And who can be against us? But we need to help each other in these difficult times to stand. Because God has good plans for each and every one of us. Let's believe it. Let's go after it. Let's trust him. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next week. Bless you.